The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmora.com. We're going to be looking at all 15 verses of chapter 11. Uh, you can follow along with me in, in your Bible that you have. If you don't have a Bible, that's, that's fine. I'll have, the, uh, I'll have the text up here uh, for you. So let's, uh, uh, let's read what the Holy Spirit wrote through whoever it was that wrote 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 11, verse 1. Nahash the Ammonite came up and laid siege to Jabesh-Gilead. All the men of Jabesh-Gilead said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. Nahash the Ammonite, uh, see, we want you back up here, is, is what we want, yeah. Um, Nahash the Ammonite replied, I'll make, one, I'll make one with you on this condition, that I gouge out everyone's right eye and humiliate all Israel. Don't do anything to us for seven days, the elders of uh, Jabesh said to him, and let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If no one saves us, we'll surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah, Saul's hometown and told the terms to all the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was coming in from the field behind his oxen. What's the matter with these people? Why are they weeping? Saul inquired. And they repeated to him the words of the men of Jabesh. When Saul heard the words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him, and his anger burned furiously. He took a team of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by messengers who said, This is what will be done to the ox of anyone who doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel. As a result, the, the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they went out united. Saul counted them at Bezek. There were 300,000 Israelites and 30,000 men from Judah. He told the messengers who had come, Tell this to the men of Jabesh Gilead. Deliverance will be yours tomorrow by the time the sun is hot. So the messengers told the men of Jabesh, and they rejoiced. Then the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Hey, tomorrow uh, we will come out, and you can do whatever you want to us. The next day, Saul organized the troops into three divisions. During the morning watch, they invaded the Ammonite camp and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. There were survivors, but they were so scattered that no two of them were left together. And afterward, the people said to Samuel, Who said that Saul should not reign over us? Give us those men so we can kill them. But Saul ordered that no one will be executed this day for the Lord, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let's go to Gilgal, so that we can renew the kingship there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there in the Lord's presence they made Saul king. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence, and Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Well, I was frustrated, I, I was embarrassed, and I was, I was stuck. Uh, I hadn't had many, and still haven't had many, situations in which I was completely helpless. But this was just one of those situations. I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to uh, get out of this situation because I was in the middle of nowhere and unless someone came to help me, I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. You see, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with driving in many different uh, conditions, but one thing that I am not comfortable doing is driving a moving truck. 
and I have done that more times than I uh, have wanted to. And the anxiety is, is, comp is compounded when uh, you're towing one of your vehicles behind you. Uh, if you've never towed anything before, um, let me tell you about it. It's not fun. Um, you have to really know what you're doing, especially if you have to back up. Did you know that if you have to back up something with a trailer that you have to turn the wheel in the exact opposite way that you want it to go? I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. The people at the rental place, they didn't tell me how to back this thing up. I guess they just assumed that I know what I'm doing. Um, which I probably should have made that painfully aware. Um, and so here I am. I'm in the middle of Missouri. And I came across a truck stop. And I'm thinking, great, a truck stop. This is a perfect place to stop and fill up uh, when you are driving a 26-foot truck and you're towing your, your, your car behind. This is going to be great. And so I pull in and I quickly find out that there is a right way to go in this place and there is a wrong way to go in this place. And you can guess which direction I went in. It wasn't the right way. It was the wrong way. And so I ended up finding myself into a situation that I don't know how I got into, but in, a, a attempt, in an attempt to get myself out of where I was, I tried backing up and going forward, backing up and going forward, not knowing how to turn my wheel, which way I should go. And the, uh, the harder I tried, the worse it became. The worse it became, the more frustrated I got. And I wish I could tell you that I had this uber spiritual nature and I just calmly gave it up to God, but that would be a lie. The frustration just kept building, but that did not stop God from providing rescue for me. In my pride, I look out the window, hoping that none of these truckers can see the ridiculous situation that I'm in. However, when I look out my window, what did I see but one of them coming toward me? saying, I rolled down my window and says, do you need help? Well, I thought that that was uh, obvious. And at this point, I was willing to take the risk of getting out of this truck and letting this man that I've never met before get in the driver's seat with everything I own behind it so that he can get me out of this situation. I even asked him to do this, but his answer was exactly what I needed at that time. He said to me, no, I'm not going to do that because this is something that you need to do. I will guide you, but you need to learn how to drive a truck with a trailer behind it. So I used my mirrors and, and looked through the windshield. I cranked the, the wheel when he told me to crank it in the direction that he told me to, to, to go. I backed up when he told me to. I went forward when he told me to. And just like that, I was free. And I was so thankful for him. And uh, the, the crazy thing is, as I pulled away, I tried to look back to remember who, what this guy looked like, and he was gone. I, I, I couldn't find, I didn't see him show up, I didn't see him leave. It was as if he was an aberration, and I just remember thanking God, you know, God, I don't know if this guy is real, or if he's an angel, or what he was, but I, you showed me your faithfulness by sending me help, even when I didn't even ask for it. And friends, that's the kind of God that we have. He is a God of help and rescue and salvation. Psalm 46, 1 uh, puts it like this. It says that our God, uh, God is a refuge and a strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. And in our text this morning, we are reminded of that truth. The Israelites had rejected 
God and asked for a human king. And the Lord provided one for them anyway. And this, uh, this king's installation, the people of Jabesh Gilead, um, they, they found themselves in a situation facing an ominous foreign threat. And, after, uh, and even though they had rejected the Lord as their king and went looking for rescue somewhere else other than him, the Lord still provided hope and help. Why? Because God is always faithful to his people. And through this historical event, we're going to find that God has not changed. God has always been, is always, and will always be faithful to his own. But not through what he did uh, through King Saul, but what King Saul in this vignette points to, the true king, King Jesus. So look, let's look at three things today in how we can see that God indeed is our help. The first is that we should recall God's faithfulness. Of all the things that technology has done for us, one of the negatives is that it has allowed us to become mentally lazy. Uh, we have access, more access at our, at our fingertips than any generation in history. We no longer have to learn anything because everything that we want to know, we can just ask Google. It wasn't that long ago. I remember growing up, kids, you have no idea what this is like, but we had to memorize all of the phone numbers that we needed. Our friends' phone numbers. Uh, perhaps our grandma or our aunt's number or our aunt and uncle. And uh, nowadays, you know, you just, uh, you just send it to someone. They don't memorize it. They just look it up. Or if you need to call a pizza or something like that, you just Google uh, that, that particular place and it will direct you right to it. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know one password of mine. Nothing. I don't know my email password. I don't know the Amazon password. I don't know anything. Why? Because I have a password manager. And a password manager that's unlocked by my fingerprint. And it just brings them all out there. We have no need to learn or remember these things because we just trust these devices to remember it for us. You know, forgotten passwords uh, can easily be reset. And phone numbers can easily be retrieved. And if you forgot who sang that really cool ballad from 1995, all you need to do is sing it into Google and it will come up for you and tell you exactly who, uh, who it was. Um, and so we can't even tell Siri to make a note uh, 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 to tell us and remind us something. However, God's faithfulness cannot be reminded to us on a device. It's not a technological oddity. We, can tell Siri, we can't tell Siri to take a note and remind us that when trouble hits, to remind us of where to place our eyes when hard times come. Either we recall God's faithfulness or we don't. And if we don't have God's faithfulness on the forefront of our minds, we will default into something else. We'll run away from our problems. We'll freeze in anxiety. We'll numb ourselves with substances. We can escape into unhelpful behaviors and patterns. We can hope too much and put too much emphasis on other people. We could do nothing 
and just hope that it turns out the best for us. None of those things are going to help us in the long run, however. Only trusting in God, in his faithfulness, through the evidence of his past actions will provide long-lasting help and hope. Now, this is not an uncommon thing for God's people. Uh, it was a problem for God's people in Jabesh Gilead. Uh, Jabesh Gilead was on the, the northeast side of, of Israel. It was not too far from their cousin neighbors, the, the, the Ammonites. And in verse 1, our text tells us that a warlord from Ammon, whose name is Nahash, shows up. And if there's any indication of what this, this guy named Nahash is going to be like, all we need to do is look at what his name means. And Nahash literally means snake. A snake in scripture is never portrayed as a good thing. And this man is no different. Look at verse 1 with me. Nahash the Ammonite came and laid siege to Jabesh Gilead. And the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. Now we have a few sources to know uh, that this man, Nahash, was a man of brutality. Instead of in just capturing his, his, uh, his enemies and enslaving them or even killing them, he was known for gouging out the right eyes of his enemies. We're going to see why that was here in just a second. But for now, we recognize that the men of Jabesh Gilead probably knew that this is what this man wanted to do to them. And they, they tried to avoid it with a treaty. In, in their eyes, and, and understandably so, it's much better to just be a vassal state and, and, and give tribute to this person or even be their slaves than to lose their right eye. And Nahash, however, he did his research. He knows that the people of Jabesh Gilead are pacifistic. They got in trouble uh, back in Judges 21 when civil war broke out between all of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. And the one place that people didn't show up to fight was from Jabesh Gilead. And they paid the price for it. And so Nahash sees their, their uh, pacifistic attitude and he's going to take advantage of it here. Now in verse 2, the arrogance comes right off the page. Nahash the Ammonite replied, ha, Yeah, I'll, I'll make a treaty with you here on one condition. That I gouge out everyone's right eye and I humiliate all Israel. Yeah, I'll make a treaty with you, but I'm still going to take out your right eye. And this guy is, he's, there's no, uh, no moral decency in him. The fact that he would take out his right eye, their right eyes is significant too. Because proper battle procedure at this time held that a soldier would hold their, well it would actually be like this to you because we're opposite here, would hold their, their shield with their left hand. And so the shield would block their left eye and they wouldn't be able to see. So how would they be able to see what they need to do in battle? Well it would be with their right eye. So if Nahash here is going to pluck out their right eye, he is he is uh, taking out their ability to defend themselves, to go against war. But with one right eye, you know, you can, with, one, uh, with a right eye out, you know what you can be? You can be a slave. You can still be enough to be a slave, and you're not going to fight back. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead, they're sort of in a tight spot, a terrible situation. They know that even if they weren't pacifists, they were going to lose. So they appeal to Nahash and uh, to give him a chance. Look at verse 3. Uh, they say, uh, don't do anything to us for seven days, the elders of uh, Jabesh said to them. 
And let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If no one saves us, we will surrender to you. So what, what does Nahash care? These people are weak and he knows that they're not respected throughout Israel for bailing on war. And no one can beat him and his militia. Fine, take a week. Take seven days. You're only delaying the inevitable. But it's in their request in verse 3 that we see the problem. When they are in serious trouble, what do they do? Well, they send out a letter hoping that somebody, anybody, would come and help them. They totally ignore the fact that they had just crowned a king who was appointed for such a time as this. They had forgotten that, uh, more importantly, they had forgotten that it is the Lord that is the source of all their hope and redemption. It is the Lord their God who they should have looked to. They completely forgot that it was God who took them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them across dry land, taking out Pharaoh's army. They completely forgot that it was the Lord their God that provided them food for 40 years in the wilderness while they were going to the promised land, not having any of their shirts wear out or any of their shoes wear out. This was the God that had taken care of them all the way back to Abraham and even long before that. And yet here they are with this ragtag group of thugs that are off in the distance, threatening them, and they do exactly what we do. Every day. We forget the faithfulness. Of God. And we look. Instead to other things. To get us through our troubles. Instead of lighting the beacon throughout Israel. They should have gone to the Lord. And that raises a question for, for you and for me. How quick are you to go to sources who can't do a thing to help you? Why default into spewing your complaints to others when you have the source of all hope and all help and all redemption right in front of you in God? When you run into times of trouble, do you only see the darkness of the situation or do you start taking inventory of the faithfulness of God and what he has done for his people and what he has done for your life up until now? If the Lord has been faithful to you up to this point, what reason do you have right now to believe that he is not going to be faithful to you in the situation that you find yourself in? The people of Jabesh Gilead should have recalled God's faithfulness. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but you must recall God's faithfulness to you and then secondly, receive his salvation. Receive his salvation. This passage takes place in this really awkward time of transition. Uh, they had just uh, in, instituted a monarchy, yet they're not a unified nation. Rather, they are just a sort of a 
uh, an independent confederacy of tribes that, uh, that work independently in and of themselves. They created a monarchy, but there's no capital. There's no castle. Uh, and after Saul is crowned in chapter 10, verse 26, it tells us that, that, that Saul just simply went home. He's not signing budgets. He's not vetoing laws. There's no daily press briefing. Rather, he, he's farming. He's back at his dad's land. And for all he knew, this job is great. He gets to, uh, he gets to lead the country and still ride his John Deere. But this was no ordinary day of farming. This was the day that the Lord had made to show his faithfulness and his deliverance uh, for his people who are in danger through this new king. The men of Jabesh Gilead may have forgotten that, that they had a king that was appointed for this very thing, but the messengers didn't. Look in verse 4. When the messengers came to Gibeah, Saul's hometown, and told the terms to the people, all wept aloud. It's implied that these messengers went straight from Jabesh to Gibeah, which is not an easy route, and all the people in town, they're processing it, and they are, they are lamenting what the people up north are going through. And now in, in verse 5, Saul's entrance is almost comical. Here is this great king that they just installed. A king comes either mounted on a giant horse or in a carriage or, and with, with people proceeding, hear ye, here comes the king, make way. Not him. He comes behind his oxen, just. Hey guys, what's going on? What's everybody crying for? Saul inquired, it says in verse 5, what's the matter with these people? Why are they weeping? And they repeated to him the words of the men of Jabesh. And so what happens next is perhaps the most important aspect of this entire scene. In verse 6, when Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him and his anger burned furiously. Right before this, the situation is desperate. This is a different situation now. You want to know why? Because God has shown up. He has rushed upon Saul and now things are going to happen. And we know that help is not just on the way, it is here. And throughout scripture, when God shows up, he typically works through people. There are some instances in which, yes, he obviously shows his mighty hand uh, doing things independently. But more often than not, God shows his love, his care, his deliverance through other people. And here, he is going to bring about deliverance for the people of Jabesh Gilead through King Saul. The Holy Spirit comes powerfully on him, and he gets to work. Look in verse 7. He took a team of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent them through the territory of Israel by messengers who said, this is what will be done uh, to the ox of anyone who doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel. So this seems kind of like an odd threat. But it's very strategic. This instance in Saul's hometown of Gibeah ought to be fresh in our minds if we have just finished reading through the book of Judges. Because it's in Judges 19 that a Levite from Gibeah has a concubine. 
and he sends his concubine for, we can get into that situation later, but he sends, him out, sends her out to the people of Gibeah overnight where she is raped and abused and ends up being left for dead on the doorstep of this Levite where she does end up dying. And he is so outraged by this when he wakes up in the morning that he cuts her body into 12 pieces and he sends it out throughout the land of Israel. And that is what ends up spiking this, uh, sparking this civil war between Benjamin and, uh, and uh, uh, the rest of, of Israel. And so here, now we see something that is a lot like it. But Saul is, is not doing this with a person. He's doing it with oxen. Saying to the people, you know what? We need you to get out now. This is not happening again. We need to get out there and help our brothers. Get on board or suffer the consequences. And as a result, look at verse 7. As a result, the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they went out united. You see the significance of this. God is at work in two fronts. On the one hand, he's preparing to show his deliverance, his rescue, salvation for these people. And they don't even know it yet. While they're being threatened by this group of thugs, 330,000 men are preparing to take out this Nahash. On the other hand, Israel is united for the first time in perhaps ever. And that ought to show us that when God is at work among his people, his people are united. And that goes for a church too. When God's people are, are united, God is at work. If a church is not united, I promise you the problem is not with God. It is with his people. And so... Uh, as the troops are being activated and deployed, Saul sends words of hope in verse 9. He told the messengers who had come, tell this to the men of Jabesh Gilead, deliverance will be yours tomorrow by the time the sun is hot. So the messengers told the men of Jabesh, and, and they rejoiced. Wouldn't you be happy that help is on the way? Of course. And here's the good news for us. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. You can fill in whatever, fill in the blank of whatever it is that you have going on in your life. There are a thousand hurts in this room right now and a thousand more with the people that are watching this morning and will tune in later. Because of what God the Father has done in his son Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to wait for deliverance. Help is not on the way. Help is here, and his name is Jesus. In his life, and in his death, in his resurrection, and, and his ascension, Jesus has provided for us the greatest rescue that we could ever have in our lives, which is salvation from sin and death. He has delivered us from the wrath of God, and in that, he has given us himself Everything that he is and everything that we need is in Christ Jesus. And we have all of those things. So when we need to face the, the, the days of trouble, which are many, deliverance is not coming tomorrow by noon. It's here 
And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead, they, they got confidence with this word. And, and, and such confidence that um, they were able to say to Nahash in, chapter, uh, in, in verse 10, they said, yeah, tomorrow we'll come out to you. And uh, you know what? You can do whatever you want to us because it's not going to work. My big brother's shown up and it's time. And likewise, when we are in Christ, you and I can look at anything, even death. We can look right in the eye and say, you have got nothing on me. Because Christ has already overcome the grave, there's nothing that we can go through in life that he has not already overcome in himself. Finally, in verse 11, they received the Lord's salvation. Saul divided his troops into three, and he sort of does a, a cheap shot. It sort of goes against rules of war, uh, but all's fair in love and war, right? So he goes to them in the middle of the night and attacks them and decimates them. And none of this, however, could happen without God showing up. It's not about Saul. He's nothing without the Lord. It's exactly what Jesus told us in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. And we, like the men of, Je of Jabesh, we will cower in fear and turn to insufficient saviors. And only Christ can save us from the uttermost. So receive this salvation. And third and finally, rejoice in God's deliverance. With such a great salvation given to us in Christ, how can we not rejoice? How can we not be people that are glad that Jesus has given all of himself so that we can go free? How can we not be grateful people? Uh, but what can happen, though, is that we can tend to uh, tribalize it. That, that sometimes our, our spirits can go into an us-versus-them mentality. And whereas we who know Christ were once dead in our sins, um, we tend to look at people who are currently lost sometimes as the enemy. And notice that uh, after Saul had shown up that he is the man of God who is, who is going to bring about this redemption... There are some who remember that there were a few people that didn't really have confidence in this Saul. And if you can recall back uh, to um, uh, the chapter before, uh, chapter 10, verse 27, that there were some wicked men who said, uh, this guy, I mean, how can he save us? They despised him. They didn't bring him a gift. And after that, it says that Saul didn't say anything about that. He didn't do anything about it. And in verse 12 in our text then, people get really excited about Saul's victory and they think that the best way to celebrate, the best way to show who's boss and who's king is by dragging these scoundrels out to the street and stoning them. There's going to be no one that defies our king. But it's here that we find reason to celebrate. Saul again shows the character of Christ and points towards Christ by choosing grace. Look again at verse 13. Saul ordered, by the way, they asked Samuel to 
if they could kill these guys. But Saul steps in, says, no one's going to be executed for this day, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. So Saul is giving them the chance to repent and to return to God's anointed. And this is exactly what God has done for us time and time and time again. Friends, if God did not give us grace, if he just decided to wipe us out after the one infraction that we had against his glory, you know what? None of us would even make it to our teenage years. Not even close. But as it is, Exodus chapter 34 tells us this about God. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. This is the God that we are called to love. Not because we have to, but we do need to, we're commanded to, but because we get to. Because he is that good. So Samuel then shows up in verse 14. And he instructs the people to go to this place called Gilgal. And it's not like he was bringing them there because that's where the party tent was. He brought them there because it was at Gilgal that there is a memorial. It was at Gilgal that Joshua had set up 12 stones in the Jordan River to be a memorial of the Lord's faithfulness. And deliverance of the Israelites. The Israelites had spent 40 years wandering through the wilderness, seeing God provide for them time and time again. And what Joshua does, um, he, he tells them that God's promises have not failed, and he knew that they had to remember this because he knew that we are forgetful people. And um, in Joshua chapter 4, verses, verse 20 and following, It says that Joshua set up in Gilgal 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers what is the meaning of these stones, you should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. Just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Now fast forward to our our chapter again in verse 15 where it says, There they sacrificed fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence and Saul and all the men rejoiced greatly. So Saul took them, Samuel took them to this place so that they would know That it is the Lord who delivered them. And that this God's deliverance is nothing new. This is what God does. He is faithful. God has always been faithful to his people and he will always be faithful to them. And it's worth celebrating that his mercies are new every morning. It is worth getting excited about that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I don't know what what everyone in this room is going through this morning. 
But one thing I do know is that if you are in Christ, he is never going to leave you. He is never going to forsake you. He is the faithful God who has always been faithful to you and will always be faithful to you. So in that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice through the pain. We can rejoice through the sorrow and through the sadness. Because salvation, redemption, and deliverance are ours in Christ Jesus. You know, I hope that I never have to drive a moving truck again. I really do. And if I do, I'm not towing anything. But that doesn't mean that I don't look back and see God's faithfulness to me on that day at a truck stop of all places. God has always been faithful to me. And I have every confidence that he will continue to do so throughout eternity. And he will do the same for you. Friends, help is here and his name is Jesus. So recall, receive, and rejoice in him. Let's pray.